0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the A-game. This is Bid Bolton alongside Thomas Penland, TP3. Uh, got some Braves stuff to run through, unfortunately. Also going to talk on the fa- talk about the Falcons, also, unfortunately. Um, so, TP3, what should we start off with today, man?
1: Shoot, I mean, Bid, we might as well go ahead and jump in with the hardest part first, which is the Braves. I mean, you th- you think when you're saying the hard part between the Braves and Falcons is the Braves that I'm joking, but unfortunately it's the Braves.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not used to the Braves being the, uh, the saddest thing in Atlanta. Uh, that, that 3-1 lead in the NLCS, obviously. Huge base running mistakes in games 5, 6, and 7. Nothing more crucial than the one in game 7 with Andy Swanson and Austin Riley in that rundown. Um, I mean, and just watching that, too. We had runners on second and third. Nick Markagas has been struggling. I've been saying since the beginning of the playoffs, he's not going to do much, but he is going to have one signature moment. And he stepped up to the plate. I said, here it is. He's about to line this left side. Two runs are going to score. And then he hits into a ground ball double play with runners on second and third, which I don't think I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Austin Riley just would not commit to running to third. Dansby couldn't stay in the rundown long enough. And then when Austin finally decided he wanted to go to third, they gunned him down as well. So that was horrible. Uh, the fact that we could be watching the Braves play in the World Series tonight really, really bothers me. Um, but, I mean... Hey, they're the actually bright. playing tomorrow. They're off today. Oh, they're off today? Yeah. Well, this is probably going to come out on uh, on Friday anyway. So, tonight, uh, we'll <laughs> watch the World Series. But, yeah, it could have been the Braves. But, future's bright. Uh, big off-season ahead of us. So, uh, we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. Just just... Uh, NLCS leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you blow a 3-1 lead like that.
1: Yeah, you know, bit it was heartbreaking. I mean, if you told me our pitching had pitched that well in those last two games, I would have told you we would have won them both for sure. You know, honestly, I can't really be mad. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's definitely disappointing we blew a 3-1 lead, but, I mean, that Dodgers team, man, there's a reason why they're so damn good, and it's because they have a $300 million payroll, and that's the type of team you get. It's just tough when you're out there as a pitcher and those guys just battle. You know, they get, they make you throw them strikes and make you get them out with good pitches. And, I mean, the fact we were even able to get up 3-1 on them, I think says a lot about how good this Braves team was. And we arguably didn't even have our ace in Mike Soroka. And then you have another guy you're paying, I believe it was $14 million to, and Cole Hamels, who didn't even 18. play. But 18. Jeez, $18 million. And he threw, what, maybe 50 pitches for your team the entire season long? And you yeah. have King Felix opt out. I mean, I'd say the Braves made the most out of their starting pitching, really having two starters. Um, you know, I I was honestly proud of the way we fought, the way we battled. Thing that sucks to think about is Mookie robbed Freddie Freeman of a home run, so that would it would have been a tie game. I mean, that base running blunder. You know, if you're the Braves, there's a lot to look back on and hang your head on. But at the same time, I think it's not the end of the world here that the Dodgers got past. So if anything, it might be a better thing for us because they're going to have a big decision to pay Corey Seager. And the way he's been swinging the bat here, I could see Corey Seager getting one of those massive – I'm not saying he's going to get Mike Trout money, but, I mean, this guy's going to be making over $20 million a year. I could easily see him getting away from them this offseason.
0: Oh, yeah, he'll, he'll be making over $100 million, definitely. Um, but at the same time, I, I agree with what you're saying about uh, being being proud of the team, not being too upset. Because, look, without Mike Soroka, without Cole Hamels, without Felix Hernandez – the Dodgers are the better team. Like, Just straight up, mm-hmm. like being honest with you, the Dodgers are the better team. So just the fact that we were able to get to the NLCS and push the, arguably the best team in baseball, 2-7 games, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. Where I'm upset is that we had a 3-1 lead, and we should have kept it. And that's not one of those situations where the last three games, the Dodgers just suddenly, their pitching's lights out, can't strike any of their guys out. It wasn't one of those situations. Yes, they pitched well. Yes, they hit well. But these were games that the Braves easily could have won. Friday night, had the lead. Blew it. Game seven, had the lead. Blew it. And this is a team, too, that they didn't make too many mistakes in the regular season like the ones that you saw in the NLCS. They were lights out early on in the, uh, in the postseason just like they were in the regular season. They were lights out early on in the NLCS. But once it started to get close, they started to fall apart, which, again, a a lot of that you can put squarely on the shoulders of Mookie Betts. I mean, some of the plays he was making in right field, the one on uh, on Dansby where he threw Ozuna – well, he didn't throw Ozuna out in Game 5. Ozuna got himself out in Game 5. But that play just really deflated the Braves. Nothing was the same after that. It's kind of similar to uh, when Mookie Betts – or not Mookie Betts. When uh, Sandy Alcantara hit Ronald Acuna in the NLDS – Mm-hmm. at the time the marlins were up by a few runs and the braves are kind of on their heels a little bit thinking oh man like we're we're in some trouble and then they hit ronald the whole dynamic of the game changed to Same be honest thing. with
1: you i think that changed the entire dynamic of our playoff run i think yeah. before that ronald got hit with that pitch that we were about to choke that first game away to the marlins and I honestly think they were yeah. about to run away with it but i think when they hit us it flipped a switch in our head, and we were kind of like, man, these are the same Marlins we beat 29-9. to
0: Like, you really think y'all are about to beat us? Absolutely. Everything changed when Ronald got hit. And it was kind of similar to me in Game 5 when Muka made that play and Ozuna got caught uh, not tagging up at third base. Same type of thing. The entire dynamic of the game changed. The Dodgers came up pretty much right after that, or came back pretty much right after that. And then it, it changed the entire game. It changed the entire complexion of the series. And Mookie went on to make two more catches that were just as impressive as that one, if not more impressive than that one. Like you said, he robbed Freddie Freeman of a home run in game 7. He made that play on Marcelo Zuna in the right center field gap. He just he, with his glove, he killed he killed us. Offensively, he was less than what you would expect out of Mookie Betts, but he still killed us that series. And Corey Seager, like you said, I mean,
1: hey, I mean, bid. I want to say this real quick on Mookie. If there's a player that we're going to go down to like that, it's got to be Mookie Betts. I mean, there's a reason why he gets paid what he is. If he's not, necessarily oh, so. getting it done from the plate, he's still getting it done with his arm. And, you know, even when we got Mookie out, it was never easy. He goes up there and sees seven, eight, nine pitches. He's going to foul off. He's going to get down 0-2, and he's going to battle and make you get him out on your best pitch. You're not going to be able to just throw one by this guy.
0: Right, and, and that's what makes him so difficult, as well as the entire Dodgers offense. You look at guys mm-hmm. like Max and Cody Bellinger, who didn't really have a great year at the plate they were still able to battle. They were still able to run up the pitch count, see seven or eight pitches per at-bat, and then that really put us in a hole early on because even guys like Max Freed, Ian Anderson, they come out, they're pitching well, but they throw, I think, Max threw 29 in game one, Ian threw 28 in game two, I think, in the first inning. And they didn't allow a run in the first inning. Well, Max said in game, uh, game five, but forget about that. Game one, game two, 29 pitches, 28 pitches, but they didn't allow a run. They weren't they were just driving up the pitch count that kept on happening. And that's what makes this Dodger team so difficult to beat. Cause then Ian Anderson's out of the game and in four innings didn't pitch bad, but he's out of the game cause he's, he ran up the pitch count. So mm-hmm. now you have to go over to the bullpen that don't get me wrong. The Braves bullpen is among the best in baseball, arguably the best bullpen in baseball. Don't get me wrong here. But when you have to play seven games in seven days, and for pretty much everybody on this roster, it is the biggest game of your career each and every day. That's pretty taxing. That's why you have guys like Chris Martin gave up the home run to Cody Bellinger. He was like 25 pitches deep that outing after throwing 32 the game before that. Which I was kind of split on that decision. I think Snit managed this postseason pretty well, but I was worried when uh, when Cody Bellinger stepped up to the plate. Chris Martin had already given you enough. He'd gone over an inning at that point. After setting a career high with thirty-something pitches the day before that, I would have taken him out. But at the same time, that could have been worse because what I would have done is I would have brought Will Smith in because he is our best reliever. But Will, Will Smith, Smith is not our, our best not reliever. It's got to be Melanson. Ooh, dude, look at the look at the peripherals. Look at the career trajectory. Definitely think Will Smith. But again, Will Smith. Game five and six did not look – or game four and five, maybe. Whichever two games in a row he pitched and looked terrible, yeah. he did not look like our best reliever then. So I understand not wanting to pull the trigger and bring Will Smith in to face Bellinger when, uh, especially when Chris Martin's pitching as well as he had. But I, I definitely would have at least been tempted to, given the fact that he'd thrown about 60 pitches in the last two days at this point. And he'd already been pitching a good bit throughout the postseason, so I would have done that. But at the same time, with how poorly Will Smith pitched in the NLCS, especially the last couple games, it would have—if uh, that goes wrong Snit's going to have some answers. Snit's so going to have some questions after the game about uh, about bringing him in to face Bellinger. So I don't know. That was—it just left a bad taste in my mouth. The whole series
1: did. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a tough one to swallow. It was a tough one to go to bed. Morale was very low on Monday. My my boss actually asked me in a meeting. He was like, how are you doing today? I was, Thomas, I was like, been better. He's like, what's wrong? I was like, I was like, I was like, "I don't know if you watched the Braves game yesterday or not, but that's what's wrong. And everybody started laughing, and half the people <laughs> aren't in the state of Georgia, so they're laughing at me. The other half were laughing with me because Brutal. things are tough right now in Atlanta. but. You know, Ben, the biggest thing that it brings me to, man, is what do we do this offseason? And, I mean, we're not going to sit here and speculate this player, that player, this player, that player. I think everything, though, starts this offseason with paying Marcelo Zuna. Look, you can try to be cheap. You can try to be this, that, and the other. This guy almost won the National League Triple Crown. He was top five in every single category. I mean, this guy swung the bat like none other, and, I mean, if he played the field well, if he could still play the field well in the way that he did when he was younger, I mean, he might have even won MVP over Freddie this season, which, I mean, still isn't official yet, but I like already so and say it's going to be Freddie. But, you know, I think we have to pay Marcel. I would give him four-year, $100 to anywhere between $80 to $100 million contract. I think you got to back up the Brinks truck to get a bat like this in your lineup. I mean, we have a murderer's row when you go from Acuna, from Acuna to Freeman to Ozuna. And then on top of that, you throw Darno and Albies and Dansby. I mean, that's a mean lineup nobody wants to see out there. I mean, we still have... Duval for a while. Pache is the real deal out in the field. I think he could use a little more pop in his bat. But, I mean, with that defense he provides, this is going to be a scary team next year. And I think if we don't bring back Ozuta, it's going to be a huge loss.
0: Oh, I, I'm with you 100% on that. Um, one more quick note on uh, on just wallowing in pity after the NLCS. I walked into the chiropractor's office the next day, uh, and the lady at the front desk didn't know that was game seven. She just thought it was a random, a random NLCS game. So I walk in, and she goes, I did, so do you think that the Braves are going to win the World Series? And I was about to come over the counter and beat her ass, but I didn't. <laughs> so, anyway, moving on to Marcelo Zuna, I'm, uh, I'm completely with you on that, right? Um, Dynamic bat obviously seemed like a fit in the clubhouse. Everybody loved the guy. See him with, uh, with, with Acuna, with Albies. Mm-hmm. Like, he obviously fit in very well. Brian Snicker loved the guy. Alex Anthopoulos loved the guy. I don't see any reason why he's not in Atlanta unless they take away the DH, which rumor has it as of today that the league plans on taking it away for the 2021 season. However, the CBA ends after 2021, and everybody pretty much, it's pretty much universal that. They are going to implement the DH after 2021. So if that's the plan, then why take it away in a year just to give it right back? That's what I'm worried about. Um, but again, if they do think there's a 90% chance that it comes back in 22, even if they take it away in 21, the Braves might still give give Ozuna some money, but it would be a little trickier at that point. But, but I completely agree with your, your point on uh, the murderer's row. I mean, look. Like, okay, you got to pitch around Acuna. Now you got Freddie. You got to get past Freddie. Now you got Ozuna. Get past Ozuna. You got Darno, Ozzy, Dansby, everybody. So I'm with you on that. And I would definitely start the offseason by going after Ozuna. Something similar to that four year, $100 million contract that you just mentioned. Um, Another issue comes into play, though, with that fifth year. I think Alex Anthopoulos would be reluctant to give him a fifth year. And then if some. Deep pocket American League team comes in and says, "Hey Marcel, we'll give you five years, one hundred twenty-five million, or five years, 130 million. That might be too much for us, but I think we should do everything. I think the Braves should do everything in their power to hang on to Marcel That's I'm be- not I'm
1: not going to lie. It'd be beyond unforgivable for me if we let Ozuna walk. Obviously, what you said about the DH—if they don't keep the DH around. I'd be a little bit more understanding. But, I mean, I don't care what another team offers him if in the American League. If they let us keep the DH and we're not paying him the top-of-the-line dollar, I think it's worth it. I mean, nobody's really going to come out here and pay Marcelo Zuna the big bucks like a like a, um, Trout or Samuki Betts or somebody like that because he can't play the field. I don't see any team that will offer him that. But, I mean, I would be willing to make him the highest paid DH in MLB history if that's what it took to keep him around. I mean, this guy, what he did for our lineup and everything's unbelievable. And, yeah, you could say that um, Anthopolis knows what he's doing, like when he let Josh Donaldson walk last year. But, I mean, Josh Donaldson hit two fifty nine last year. Yeah, he hit 37 home awesome. runs and drove in 94 RBIs. But Ozuna gets has a much higher OPS, much higher batting average, and he would have hit more home runs and driven in more runs than that. Ozuna
0: is on a different level from Donaldson. Right. But to your point with Donaldson, though, if the DH had already been in place 100%, if they had known what they know now back last, back a year ago, mm-hmm. I think they would have signed Josh Donaldson. I think that was a major concern was having him be able to come out and play the field every day for the next four or five years. And they were still interested. They still did go four years. The only difference was that fourth year they were not paying the same price. Like There would have been a pretty heavy salary cut that fourth year. Um, and then when the Twins come in, they offer him not only the full price for the four years, they offer him that, uh, that option year at the end. That really sealed the deal. But with the DH, I really think that he would have been back. But at the same time, you're spot on, dude. Marcelo Zuna outperformed Josh Donaldson offensively in pretty much every single sti- uh, statistic. So I'm with you. I think that there's going to be a pretty big problem if they don't bring Marcelo Zuna back, especially if they keep the DH. -hmm. And still, Ozuna, the only guy out there I can think of that could put up similar numbers to Ozuna that could be a fit as a DH is Nelson Cruz, and I don't think he's leaving Minnesota. He is a free agent. He He is starting to get his mid forties, but I think he'd stick around
1: in Minnesota. Yeah, I agree. He looks way too comfortable out there in that park. Um, Before we uh, move over to a little uh, NFL here, anything else you want to say about the Braves?
0: Uh, Yeah, sticking with the off-season plan, I did just want to touch on the pitching a little bit, which, you know, if you'd asked me a couple months ago, I would have said they need to go get at least two arms. If you ask me right now, I think they only need one. I agree. The guy is Trevor Bauer. Uh, It remains to be seen if the Braves are going to pay that money or not. Um, He also – this might just be – his way of messing with people because he's been messing with people for the last two weeks since his free agency pretty much started. But he has now said that he is open to multi-year contracts and that he will at least consider any offer that he gets, Um, which is pretty big because originally he was saying he was only going to sign a one-year deal. That still may be the case. Uh, He said he was originally only going to sign a one-year deal. He has a bet with a friend from high school that if he signs for more than one year – Um, I cannot remember if he gets hit or if he gets shot with a paintball, but either way, Trevor Bauer's nuts are going to get hurt. So that's on the line for him if he's not going to sign a one-year deal. But if he does sign a one-year deal, I don't see any reason why the Braves can't be standing right there with $30 million to offer. Alex Anthopoulos loves one-year deals. He's not going to get into a bidding war for a big starting pitcher on the free agent market if they're going to command four or five years at that price. So this is the guy. This is the guy that makes the most sense for the Braves to go after. But I also think it's more likely that they pivot to Marcus Stroman, who will be cheaper and has a relationship with Alex Anthopoulos and will almost certainly take a one-year deal after they're opting out this season. Yeah, I honestly think the Angels are going to try to back the Brinks truck up to Trevor Bauer
1: and give him like five years, like one hundred and fifty. Give him, you know, what I mean, give him like Verlander, Kurt, Scherzer, Kershaw type money. I think they're trying to make him one of those kind of pitchers.
0: If, he'll, if he will really accept a multi-year deal, he's gonna he's getting paid. He's making over two hundred million dollars, I think. And I think so. if that case, it'll either be the Angels or the Padres. The Padres are going to have to move some stuff around to be able to pay that. But uh, he's already been linked to the Padres a good bit. They're an exciting young team that needs another starter. And his best friend in baseball, Mike Clevenger, also plays for the Padres. So I think that's probably the most likely landing spot for him is either San Diego or the Angels. But, I mean, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Reds, all these other teams are going to be in on him. He's probably going to have at least 15 teams legitimately going after him. So he's going to be one of the most sought-after free agents in recent years that I, that I can think of, honestly, on the mound. Yeah, no,
1: I, I agree with you completely, man. He's, gonna, he's definitely going to be up there for one of the uh, most sought-out free agents for sure but bid I'm pretty sure last time we podcasted about the Falcons that Dan Quinn was still our head coach so yeah what are you thinking about the team these days
0: um well to be completely honest with you I think that Raheem Morris is going to lead us to 7 and 9 and I think that it's <laughs> going to be enough for Arthur to keep to let him keep his job oh my so gosh, I think that no. instead of going after somebody like Eric Bieniemy we're going to end up with Raheem Morris because he led us to a classic 7-9 and Atlanta Falcons season. I hope I'm wrong. Don't get me wrong. I do like Raheem Morris. I honestly wouldn't even be upset if they, they kept him on as, de- I as defensive coordinator. But I, I really hope he doesn't win his way into being head coach unless he somehow takes us to a Super Bowl. If he finds a way to do that, let him keep the damn job. But I don't see that happening, so I'm, I'm hoping somebody like Eric bien will be out there yeah I'll be honest with you I don't want the
1: enemy I think I like the enemy I think he's I think he's decent but at the same time I feel like that he's too much of an just an Andy Reid yes man like Andy Reid's the one calling all the plays and everything I'm gonna start things off and say this first so if Raheem Morris is the coach of the Falcons next year I might have to become a fan of a new NFL team and you've made that threat so many times you're not gonna do it (laughs) Nah, I'll ride and die with my team, but let's put it this way. I would be so angry for Raheem Morris is our coach next season. Look, Falcons need to go in this direction right here. We need to go in the direction well, – we can decide which direction we go in with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones based off of where our draft pick is and how good we think that – I mean, if we not can't get a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, we have to decide how we feel about that North Dakota State quarterback, Trey Lance. I think he looks pretty damn good. We'll have to decide how we feel about him or what we want to do at quarterback I mean- long term
0: he was able to play this year was solid.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I can't blame him, though, for sitting out the rest of the year. He's already done what he needs. But honestly, I really think the Falcons need to go with a young face. We need to bring in our, our Sean McVay. I mean, the sad part about it is the perfect coach would be Kyle Shanahan or Matt LaFleur, and we let him uh, walk two, three years ago. I think that Joe Brady would be the perfect fit in Atlanta. I mean, he was the passing coordinator for the Saints, got everything going for him. I mean, he, LSU, man. I mean, LSU had Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. All these guys walking in and out of these doors never could do anything with them. He comes in there for one year and makes LSU the best offensive college football team possibly of all time. That's how good of a coach he is. I mean, look what he's doing with Carolina. This Carolina offense is even dynamic and explosive. I personally think he'd be the perfect fit for us. I think we need to go with a young head coach, and we need to get in a GM who's going to get in their pieces. My dream scenario is the Falcons Pick top two here. We trade Matt Ryan and Julio for first round picks. We use our cap space to go get defensive players, and we win now. I think we're in the perfect situation to win now if we can do something like that and have a rookie quarterback succeed in our system.
0: I mean, yeah, I'm with you, and I've actually talked to a couple different people about this, proposing a pretty similar scenario to what you just did with uh, with the Falcons getting a top two pick, top three pick, moving on from Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Um, I mean, obviously that'd be the end of the era. It would really hurt to not see them win a Super Bowl in Atlanta but let's let's be real we probably weren't going to anyway but I mean this is these are two guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame they're going to go down as two of the top five Falcons in franchise history it's going to be hard to see them go but if we it might honestly be it might be the best time and if we are headed for a full rebuild as well do you really want to watch Matt Ryan and Julio Jones continue to play on a rebuilding team and continue to lose for the rest of their career if the plan is to rebuild, then we should let Matt Ryan and Julio Jones go somewhere that they can win. Yeah, no, I mean that's what
1: I'm saying. And plus I would even if that we don't get rid of Matt Ryan, I would honestly, as much as it pains me to say, be perfectly fine with moving on from Julio. I mean, Julio has been injured a lot. Don't get me wrong, he's been one of my favorite Falcons to ever play. I feel bad honestly, even saying it, but If the opportunity's available to flip Julio for first-round pick, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. We had trailed a lot in the past to get him. I personally think that it's a great spot to go ahead and move him.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially, I mean, you you already have Calvin Ridley, you already have Russell Gage, and then if you do somehow end up with multiple top-ten picks so you can get your guy at quarterback, Jamar Chase is going to be out there, too, which I'm not saying Jamar Chase is Julio Jones or that he'll ever be Julio Jones, but that is a – very talented receiver that you could add to an already talented receiving core. Um but at the same time, this is one of those situations where yeah, it probably is the smart move to move on from Julio if you can get a first round pick for him. But at the same time, it's one of those where even if we don't make the smart move here, I'm not going to be upset cuz that's the greatest Falcon ever and it's it, it would just it would be hard to move on from it. I think it definitely is the smart move, but I mean, I won't be too upset either way here, honestly.
1: Hey, I'm right there with you, bid. I wouldn't be too upset either way, but it definitely would suck man to get rid of the greatest Falcon of all time like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And then defensively there's, there's a, a lot of stuff that needs to be done. Uh, we've got, and, and that's the problem because we don't really have guys that are in the Matt Ryan, Julio Jones stage of their careers defensively where we have one of our top guys. He's getting up there in age. We still have him on this big money contract for a few more years. We don't have that on defense. So, if you do rebuild, I don't know if you even necessarily trade off pieces from the defense, because if you do, then you're just giving away young, controllable assets like Grady Jarrett, like Deion Jones, maybe A.J. Terrell. We still haven't really seen what he's fully capable of, and these are the only guys we're going to have that really have significant value, maybe a couple guys like Oluokon, but I don't think that we would move on from anybody necessarily defensively that... Well, I mean, obviously we can move on from a couple people, let them go in free agency, but we don't have – like, we wouldn't move on from any of our big-name guys defensively. I think we would just have to find a way to build that up because maybe they trade Grady Jarrett because he is making a good bit of money and he would – Not a lot. But uh, personally, I would keep the core guys on the defense. I'd keep them intact, keep them there, and then just see what we can do in the draft and in free agency.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. That's why if we can get rid of Matt Ryan or Julio, it opens up so much cap space on this team. You know, we could use both those first-round picks on defensive guys. I mean, if you keep Matt Ryan around, if you don't use one on a quarterback and you have two more firsts to go and use on defensive guys and you have all that cap space free up, plus you have the Devontae Freeman come off the books, you have Keanu Neal off the books, you have a lot of guys making a lot of money off the books. The Falcons would be in a great financial spot if we could somehow move on from Matt and Julio and get first-round picks in return
0: for them. Right, right. I, I, like, like I know we've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. It, that would just be so hard for the franchise, for the city, to move on from two of the five best Falcons ever, the best Falcon ever in Julio Jones. Like, that would that would be tough. But at the same time, if it is a legitimate rebuild, we can't really afford to half-ass it. And we also definitely do not want to watch Matt Ryan and Julio Jones just toil away on a content, or not contending, on a rebuilding team for the rest of their careers, I mean, they they deserve better than that. The city of Atlanta deserves better than that. If we are headed for a rebuild, we should we should probably send them both on their way. Let them go somewhere they can win. Let them go out on good terms here and uh, just go for that rebuild, I guess. Hey, I'm right there with you on that one, Bid. Oh, man, yeah, so. I mean, I don't know. I think this uh, this off season is going to show a lot. I really have no idea what to expect. Um, but at the same time, not the off season yet. Still have ten more games. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where we go from here. I mean, I I, I actually think we're going to end up going seven and nine. I, I, I seriously, I hope not. But I I really see us going seven and nine and being like the last team out of the playoff chase.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing more of a, uh, shoot, I, don't, I honestly don't even know what I'm seeing with these Falcons, man. I'm hoping for uh, for a 1-15er, but I mean, I feel that's highly unlikely. I think, to be honest with you, looking down the schedule and everything, I think 4-5 to five wins is realistic.
0: Okay, I mean, that's not a top top pick but that's a pretty good pick that's if we're headed for a rebuild then probably the back of the top
1: 10 maybe 12 or 13 maybe like 30 it's probably 8 to 13
0: i'd say yeah French top 10 pick that's that's solid that's solid i mean obviously if you're gonna suck you want to be uh want to be up there in the one spot or at least in the top five but i mean hey can't complain if you get a top 10 pick Mm-hmm. oh man we have uh do you have any Hawks Hawks news to talk about? I think everything's been pretty quiet on there.
1: Yeah, so honestly, I'll I'll say this real quick for the Hawks. I say we wait until the the NBA comes out with like their timeline and everything. So they currently don't have a timeline set for the next season to start. I've been hearing MLK weekend would be the start up time, which I mean would be cool with me honestly. Also, once they decide that, then they'll put in the draft. Draft's supposed to be November 18th. So I mean, once they get the draft and everything set for good, that's when I really want to deep dive and talk. We got to do another one, know, So we can deep dive, talk some more Hawks on here, but it'll all come down to all that free agency, everything. I mean, there's definitely gonna be a lot of big moves, so be I mean, should just see what the Hawks do with that, with their pick and everything. But until we have a definitive uh, timeline, I don't really think there's much worth talking about.
0: Yeah, the, I haven't heard any any news at all. Um, I mean, obviously the Lakers won, so which which I called. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but, yeah, so with the Hawks, I haven't heard any news whatsoever. The only thing that I've heard of, and it's really not even worth talking about, was that Trey Young ended up with an 88 on 2K. People are all mad that he's not up in the 90s, which I think yeah, he's its mean, probably bullshit. Right at 90, maybe 91. But, I mean, if, if they want to keep on doubting Atlanta, they want to keep on hating on Atlanta, just let them at this point. Screw it. Hey, I'd rather be slept on than overrated bid. There we go. There we go. It's another classic Thomas Penland line right there. I've heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, let's stop it so we can move into those segments. All right, now we, uh, we're just going to dive into some segments real quick. Uh, first up is uh, what really grinds my gears, and this is where we usually have that video of Peter Griffin saying that from Family Guy. But I didn't have that available at this time, so we're going to go right into it. TP3. Hey, me, wait, whoa, really... whoa, whoa.
1: I want to hear your best impression of Peter Griffin doing it,
0: at least. <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> it starts to go from, like, Boston to Australian whenever I, like, whenever I try to use a Boston accent, it somehow always spins into an Australian one. I really don't understand it.
1: Hey, maybe it's the uh, Australian crossover episode. You never know. Hey, there we go. Now we're talking.
0: <laughs> we're talking. But, uh, all right, so uh, why don't you start us off? Tell us what really grinds your gears today.
1: Yeah, so what really grinds my gears is when people say Carson Wentz sucks. I mean, people could watch these Eagles games, and the Eagles are 1-5 right now, and everyone's like, oh, it's Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz sucks. Well, he is down. He now has his number three wide receiver back. He is a college quarterback playing wide receiver from him an undrafted free agent. He doesn't have Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard. He doesn't even have Miles Sanders in there anymore. I mean, all season long—oh, and he's also missing four offensive linemen. I forgot that part, too. All season long, this Eagles team has been beat up, broken, and not even had their entire offensive unit out there for a single game this season. They haven't even had half of them on the field for the first game of the season. I mean, I think everybody's drastically overreacting to the Eagles' struggles this season and Carson Wentz's. Don't get me wrong, Carson Wentz hasn't been able to stay healthy his entire career, but when he's out on the field, he's done nothing but produce, and I think he's done a lot better than 85% of the quarterbacks could in the NFL with what
0: he has. See, I'm glad that you, I'm glad you bring up Carson Wentz because this is a guy that his entire career, I've said he's overrated. His entire career, I've said he's overrated. But now with how much people hate this guy for some reason, he's become underrated because, like you said, people just completely ignore the fact that he has offensive linemen out, he has receivers out, he literally has a college quarterback at wide receiver. Like, if anybody is listening to this and thought that you were just making a joke, like that that's real like that's an actual thing right now which is crazy so i get i get it i mean the people saying that he's bad because i've been saying he's overrated for years but i mean he he's definitely i don't want to say he's that good but he's not bad he's definitely he's definitely become underrated in the last few months but um i don't even know if i need to say this or not but uh I guess that's the segment, but what really grinds my gears is blowing a 3-1 lead to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, that's uh, that's never fun, um, especially when you have an opportunity to go to the World Series against a team that you faced a few times this year. You know that you're as good as they are. Um, yeah, that's never fun, and uh, that's what really grinds my gears, but we'll get them next year.
1: Yeah, all i got to say on that one is who would have ever guessed Bid would have picked that? Is what is what grinds my gears.
0: <laughs> what else? What else could it be? Um, but all right, moving on to hot take of the day. I know you've got a good one waiting for this.
1: Oh, yeah. So there was a lot of different ways I could have gone with this one, but for my hot take of the day, I'm going to say the Big 12 won't get a team in the college football playoff. Oklahoma State's their last undefeated team. Oklahoma's already gone down twice. Texas has already gone down twice. There's no way a two-loss team's getting in there. I wouldn't be shocked, guys, if Oklahoma State loses this Saturday against Iowa State. They haven't really gotten to play that much because of COVID. They do have their star quarterback, Spencer Rattler, back. I mean, what am I saying? Spencer Sanders back. But regardless, I think that Oklahoma State's going to lose at least twice this season. So that's my hot take of the day. Big 12 gets no teams in the college football playoff.
0: I'm I'm right there I'm right there with you on that and uh, also I knew you weren't talking about Spencer Radler when you uh, referred to him as a star, but anyway my <laughs> today uh, look the Braves obviously have some talent in the rotation Max Freed fantastic he's going to be a top ten Cy Young guy this year as I predicted Mike Soroka unfortunately we really missed him at the end of the year but uh, but he will be back and he will be back just as good as we left him and they'll probably go sign somebody. Hopefully Trevor Bauer, but we'll see. Get somebody, Bauer, Marcus Stroman, somebody. But despite all this, Ian Anderson will be the best pitcher on the Braves next year. He's going to be better than Max Reed. He's going to be better than Mike Soroka. He's going to be better than whoever else they bring in. I don't care if it is Trevor Bauer. But if it is, I might I might walk back on this. But as of right now, Ian Anderson is going to be the best pitcher on the Braves in 2021.
1: Yeah, nothing but agreement for me. I mean, Ian Anderson was lights out every single outing he had this season. Um, I loved what I saw from Anderson. Honestly, he imp- he was better than I
0: even expected him to be. I expected him to be damn good, but I wasn't expecting him to be that good. So, I mean, yeah, just the way he came into the league, that game against the Yankees, he almost threw a no-hitter, no which if, they, if he had, they said they weren't going to count it as official because it was a seven-inning uh, doubleheader game. Mm-hmm. But – I think we all know that the entire baseball world, the entire city of Atlanta as well, would be calling that a no-hitter for the rest of their lives. But he came in the way he pitched in that game. That kind of put the whole league on notice, and everybody started kind of thinking, like, wow, this kid's for real. Um, So it was great to see him do that. And then until his last start in the NLCS, go the entire postseason without allowing a run, Really incredible stuff. Uh, And he's going to build on it. He's going to be just as good, if not better, next year. And I cannot wait to see it.
1: Nothing but agreement
0: from me. All right. Now, last thing in the show. Um, 2020, weird year. A lot of weird stuff going on. So we've got some weird stats. What's your weird stat of the day?
1: So, I didn't follow the rules, and I actually have two weird stats of the day. My first one was applicable until last week. UGA had not, uh, going into that game on Saturday, had not allowed a defensive rushing touchdown since Josh Jacobs in 2018. I mean, they have a really good run defense. I'm not sure, though, if y'all expected to be that good when an entire football season without allowing a rushing touchdowns, crazy. Then my second one is even weirder here. The Tampa Bay Rays entire starting lineup made $12.5 million so they're the guys who play the field for them Jose Altuve made $12.7 million and they sent the Astros home so I mean they beat a team that had a position player making more money than their, all of their position players combined
0: that's crazy, yeah. I, it, it's always so much fun to see what the Rays are able to do with the smallest year, smallest payroll in baseball or one of the smallest payrolls in baseball year in year out, it's always fun to see them do what they're able to do uh, mine is going to go back to uh, football. And I mean, you all know that this division is a dumpster fire year in, year out. Uh, the two and four Cowboys are currently leading the division. But the Giants and Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins, are one game out of the division lead, but also only one game away from the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. One. Game from being in first place, one game from getting the first overall pick and being able to go get the guy. Yeah, I mean it's just absolutely crazy how pathetic that division is. Every year, every year eight and eight's like, alright, that's good enough. You're in. I think six and ten will win that division this year. Oh, probably. I I don't see any way any of those teams get to seven wins. The Cowboys should only have one win, too, if the Falcons didn't blow a game that had literally never been lost like that before in the history of football. Well, note- let's, not,
1: uh, let's not rub salt in our wounds, Bid.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. On that note, uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up on that one, end on just as bad of a note as the one we started on with the Braves. So, you have anything else?
1: Nope. I'm ready to get up out of here, Bid. I appreciate you letting me come on once again and help you talk about the this our poor city and their mishaps in sports.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. We, uh, uh poor, Atlanta, poor Atlanta. All right. Thank you guys.